Like I said earlier, we're in the home stretch. We've been in a 13-week series through the book of Galatians, and this is week uh, 12? I think this is the second. Yeah, this is week 12, 12 of 13. I should know my own series here. Galatians 6. So I'm a pastor who wants to become a better pastor more quickly than God is allowing me to become that. And there's frustration in that. And the reason why there's frustration in that is the same reason why you guys are frustrated in your spiritual walk many times is because waiting is involved and waiting is frustration. One of the things about preaching, being a preacher who, who is constantly um, having to dive into God's word, who is constantly having to write down words to say, and because, you know, Sunday's always beckoning, and there's always days in between Sunday that are beckoning where you have to be somebody who has to have something to say. Um, and it's not enough for me to just have something to say. I don't want to just be somebody who's preaching words. I want to be a pastor that comes under the words that he preaches so that I'm not just delivering lectures to you on Sunday. Number one, because that's largely ineffectual. And number two, you will be bored, bored to tears. And that's not what we want to do here. That's not what the aim of preaching is. But I want to feel, I want to experience the weight and the glory of God's word as much as I want you to experience it as we preach it, as we go through it. So I am regularly frustrated during this thing that we call sermon preparation, right? Um, and I was frustrated this week, or uh, I was frustrated, as they like to say on Great British Bake Off, right, if you're from the UK. Um, but part of my frustration was that we are coming into a passage here where, gonna, where Paul's going to be talking to us about what it means to bear one another's burdens. And that's such an easy thing to say to you, isn't it? It's such an easy thing for me to get up here and write down a bunch of words from what Paul says in chapter 6 about what we're about to read and just say, all right, let's get out there and let's bear one another's burdens. And so the beginning of the week, my week, again, and this is not for anybody to feel bad for big R, um, but just to say that I, I didn't just want to read this passage and say some things about this passage, but I was praying that God would give me the opportunity um, to actually live and experience the words of this passage. And so what happened was earlier in the week as I was frustrated and as I was walking and as I was praying and as I was complaining to God that I wasn't feeling the passage. An interesting thing happens when we do that, and I hope this is an encouragement to you for when you pray, is that God actually answered my prayer. And this is how he answered my prayer, and this is what I want you guys to hear, is that as I was walking, um, I saw somebody in the distance who was walking themselves. And, um, and I was walking a lot faster because I tend to walk at a furious pace. Me and my wife walk furiously, and if you ever see us walking, like at times, for instance, Casey Cook has seen us walking and slams on the horn because we move our arms and we look ridiculous, and then we have almost a heart attack after that horn is honked, all to say, do not honk your horn at us if you see us walking that way, all right? Because we're concentrated, we have, we have an agenda with the walk, all right? I'm getting way off, off the trail right now. So I'm walking, I'm furiously walking, I'm angrily walking, I'm frustratingly walking, and I come upon this person who I didn't know who they were until I walked and I got about two feet past them, and I looked to my right, and they had been somebody that now, for years, um, there's been a bit of a broken relationship with, 
and there had been a lack of reconciliation with now going on quite a few years. And I had recently heard that they had suffered a tragedy. Um, so I walked past the person, I saw them out of the corner of my eye, and I didn't know what to do as I'm praying that God would teach me how to bear another's burdens. And there it was. And so I stopped, and I looked them in the eye. I asked how they were doing. We ended up talking. We ended up praying. The relationship, I don't think, was, was reconciled to the degree that, that, I, that I was hoping that it would be someday. But in that moment, what God did for me in a very real way, in the way that he's instructing us to do this, was that in that moment, I just got to listen. I got to hear somebody's heart, and I got to pray for them, even though it came at a cost, even though there was this elephant in the room, on the streets, that just existed in that moment. And yet in that moment, God did something in me as a very broken man, is he gave me capacity in that moment. He gave me a broken heartedness because he's given me the Holy Spirit. Because he's given me what we learned about last week, which is the fruit of the Spirit. He's given me a measure of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. That Remember we talked about last week? We get in varying percentages. And it was in that moment that by God's grace, he gave me enough percentage of that to where I could actually bear the burden of an individual of which there was so much brokenness. And in that moment, God moved. He moved. And what he did in that moment was he allowed me to preach this text, not just from theory, not just saying, yeah, let's do this thing, but to actually have the opportunity to live this thing so that when I encourage you to do this thing, it gives you something. It gives you some hooks. It gives you some reminders of the times in your week or your month or your life when you've done the same thing. And in those moments, while you're doing the same thing, you are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is what we're going to learn about this morning. So this is what we're going to touch on. We're going to touch on what it means to bear another's burden. Then we're going to talk about what the barriers are that we face while bearing another's burden. And then we're going to finish by looking at what bearing burdens actually produce in us. So what about the Galatians? Well, here's a, just a small, short recap. The Galatians started well. They were a church Paul had planted. It was a series of churches in the province of Galatia, and they had started well. They'd become a church who was flourishing in the gospel. Maybe they were like substance where they wanted to plant a church. They wanted the gospel to be the primary thing. They wanted to go about the work of the gospel and make that center in everything they do. And then religion sort of reared its ugly head. It was introduced to the Galatian. When we say religion, what we're really saying is man's attempt to become righteous. It's the simplest definition I can give it. So religion was introduced by these men who opposed Paul, who planted these churches. They opposed his authority, and they opposed his teaching by urging the Galatians. They said, hey, you know what? You guys got to get circumcised, and you got to start keeping some religious Jewish laws because that really is what is going to add and make you a saved person. That's going to give you 
that's going to, that's going to give you the, the kind of religious identity that you've been lacking if all you're trying to do is trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. These men were saying, no, it's that, plus it's a little bit more than that. And Paul says, look, you guys, that's what he's been saying every week. If you guys don't know the book of Galatians after these 13 almost the same every week sermons, then I mean, you guys literally been on Facebook every week ignoring every word we're saying. But Paul says, look, if you try to keep religious laws to be righteous, instead of trusting in Jesus for your righteousness, he said, you'll be living as if Christ, as, as if Christ died for no purpose. That's how serious he has been. Instead, he said, use this freedom that Christ has given you from the law, from keeping the law, to refocus your attention on the grace of Jesus. And let this gospel realignment move you to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And the reason Paul stresses all this loving your neighbor stuff is because it's in evidence for whether one actually loves Jesus, right? Loving your neighbor as yourself is never an optional command for Christians. The Bible says loving our neighbor is actually the way the world knows who we worship. Isn't that crazy? 1 John 3, 14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Like that's serious language. A church that closes its heart against its neighbor puts its heart for Jesus himself into question. So Paul encourages us to bear another's burden. But be careful, because if our heart isn't right before God, the church will decline, he says, into conceit and envy. But first we're going to look at what it means to bear another's burden. So let's pick up with chapter 6, verse 1. This is what Paul says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And we're going to stop there for the week with God's word here. So Paul has spent so much time up to this point rebuking the Galatians. But notice how he begins chapter 6. What does he do? He refers to them as brothers. He refers to them as brothers and sisters. He's saying, I know who you are. I know who you're going through. And I still am trusting the Lord that these things that have been inflicted upon you, these, these areas that you are digressing into, that the Lord is still the keeper of your heart, and eventually you are going to come around and you are going to realign with the gospel. He says, look, if anyone has been overtaken by a sinful pattern that is not in line with the gospel, seek restoration. So that's what he's saying. So when we go back to the last chapter, he's talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. He's kind of fleshing that out for what that exactly looks like for us right now. He says, seek restoration. That word restore, what that means is it means a private and a patient correction. So when we think of the word restore, we're thinking a private and patient correction with another brother or sister in the face. So this means that we are people who get uncomfortably close. And 
we are uncomfortably patient when we get uncomfortably close, right? That's what Paul is admonishing us to do. Not only that, but our manner of restoration needs to be done, he says, in a spirit of gentleness. He just gave us the fruits of the spirit. So one of those fruits that needs to come out as we're seeking to restore a brother or sister who's fallen into a pattern of sin is that we, it matters the way in which we do it. He says, do it in a spirit of gentleness. And what this tells us is that restoration is not just speaking the truth, but it's the manner in which we speak the truth. It's being led by the Spirit to restore one another by the fruit of the Spirit. And what do we know about gentleness? Well, we know that it is the fruit and the character of Jesus himself. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, for I am lowly and gentle in heart. So we know that even when we go off the rails like the... Galatians were going off the rails. What do we see here in Paul? Even when he's, even when he's at his most rebukey, I don't know, he's doing it with a gentle spirit. Now, a few weeks back, if you guys remember, we talked about our approach being as important as our landing. It matters how we approach things. So a spirit of gentleness, this is what it does for us, okay? It acknowledges how easily that we are tempted and then it guards us from either harsh condemnation or self-righteous smugness. That's what gentleness allows us to do as we call out another brother or sister very privately and very patiently on a sin pattern in their life. And this is how we can bear one another's burden, which Paul says in verse 2. So in this culture, it was, it was a slave who was called to literally bear or carry the physical burdens of their master. But Paul's actually advocating something different. He's saying Christians carry them voluntarily for their brothers and sisters like Christ did for them. Romans 15, Paul says in his letter to the Romans, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So your brothers and sisters around you that are literally sitting next to you right now are carrying unique burdens. They're carrying unique burdens. They carry with them a past all of you carry a past. And when all of you walk in the doors here at church, when all of you walk through the doors at work, when you walk through the doors of your home, when you walk through the doors of any place that you find yourself operating life, you are bringing with you the past that you carry. And it's a past that is filled with weightiness, like we talked about earlier. It is a past that is filled with brokenness of being sinned against, of unmet expectations, of unfulfilled dreams, of physical disadvantages. Some of you have had mental, spiritual, and physical abuses. For some of you, it's hidden addictions. For some of you, it's unhidden diseases. For others, it's untamed and undealt with passions and desires that keep you in just this black hole of guilt and shame. This is all of us. I mean, did I not tap into everybody with that list? 
But what Paul is saying is that freedom in the gospel, what it does is it gives us the character. It gives us the fruit necessary to where all of those things that I just mentioned, it means that we have the capacity, we have the character to bear those things in another brother or sister. The gospel gives us that character. The gospel gives us that fruit. The gospel gives us love for someone who feels condemned and has been rejected and maybe now is wrestling with fear. The gospel gives us joy for a person who is battling with hopelessness. The gospel gives us peace for those who succumb so easily to worry and anxiety. The gospel gives you patience For the friend who falls into the same sin over and over again and just needs you to stick with them. The gospel gives you kindness for a brother who is feeling lonely and feeling insecure. The gospel gives goodness for a sister who needs someone to just be honest and be real with them about what's going on in their life. The gospel gives you faithfulness for an elderly person who feels that friends and family have moved on and maybe have abandoned them. The gospel gives us gentleness for a fellow member of our church who just needs some restoration. Like Paul here is pointing out in verse one, the gospel gives us self-control for a brother or sister who is impulsive and is struggling and needs the influence of your stability. This is what it means to bear another's burdens. You voluntarily carry the weight of another person with the character that you have been given from the person of Christ. And sometimes it's just a word. Do you guys realize that? Sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes it's just your physical presence. But it's always a sacrifice. I remember when I got a call from my old pastor, this was a long time ago, and my dad had just passed, and it was was the first week, and there's so much chaos, and there's so many details, and so many things you got to do and prepare, and and you don't even know what you're doing, and I remember my pastor was out of town, he was on his his vacation that summer, and um, it was the kind of thing where nobody contacted him for any reason, ever, right? It was proper. And uh, I got a call from him, from Pastor David, and he just said, Ronnie, I'm sorry. And I said, who's this? He said, it's David. I said, oh, I go, why are you calling me? You're on vacation. He goes, I'm calling you because you're hurting and I'm hurting. And I went, oh, here's what's amazing. I don't remember one sermon that David preached. I literally can't remember. I cannot tell you the title I cannot tell you the context of one sermon that dude preached in all the years I heard him preach. But I remember that phone call. I remember that call. Because in that moment, he bore a burden for me. Why is this so hard for us? Why is this so hard? Because it's hard. Well, it's hard because our flesh creates barriers. 
Paul speaks to some of these barriers. What are the barriers that we face? Well, he warns the church. If we go back to verse 25 and 26, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, he says, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul warns the church that here's some things that are gonna prevent you from living out that godly character that's going to lead to bearing another's burden. And he kind of brings it down to conceit. He brings it down to arrogance. He brings it down to pride. And the word conceit here, what it means is vainglorious or empty of honor. Tim Keller described this better than I could. This is what he said. He said, conceit is a deep insecurity. It's a perceived absence of honor or glory leading to a need to prove our worth to ourselves and others. And this in turn fixates our mind on comparing ourselves with others. When we seem better than someone else in some trait, our honor hunger puffs us up and makes us feel great. But when we seem to be inferior to someone else, we are devastated for the same reason. So if you have a conceited view of yourself, you'll think you're either too superior or feel too inferior to actually do the work of bearing another's burden. That's why Paul warns about conceit here, about keeping watch on yourself, like he says in verse one, and thinking you are something when in fact you are nothing in verse three. Thanks for the encouraging, cheerful words, Paul. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have value or worth. It means that we so easily deceive ourselves and think that somehow we are responsible for our gifts and talents on one hand, or on the other hand, we compare our lack of gifts and talents with others. What happens is that both lead to inflated views of ourselves, when in fact, Jesus tells us in John 15 that what? Without him, you can do nothing. We are branches attached to a vine. The branch only exists because it's attached to a vine. So we literally have no place for boasting in ourselves or comparing ourselves to others. Instead, Paul says in verse 4, each of us must test our own work. So in other words, we don't measure ourselves by another's standard. Why? Well, because this leads us again to either too high or too low of a view of ourselves. So the person with too high a view of themselves has not understood the gospel because in their moral superiority, they think it's beneath them to bear another's burden because they're blind to their own burdens that Christ bore for them. You guys following with me? Now, the person with too low a view of themselves hasn't understood the gospel. What? You mean that's not humility, Ronnie? No, it's a different thing. The person with too low a view of themselves hasn't understood the gospel because they think they're not, not good enough to bear another's burdens or they're envious of the person they think is gifted enough to do it. But what happens in that case is they forget that Christ has given them the same character and the same fruit and the same ability and the same heartedness as he's given all of us who are in Christ to bear another's burden. So both the conceited person and the envious person haven't believed that the gospel has freed them to a new identity in Christ and a godly self-worth that allows them to see themselves for who they truly are, which is fully loved, fully accepted, and fully enabled to serve others. 
And we've embraced that truth and we understand that truth. It forms a self-forgetful humility in us that allows us to stop comparing ourselves with others. But it boasts in what the Lord has done for us, which is what Paul says in verse 4. So on one hand, Paul says, bear one another's burden. But then he finishes his thought in verse 5 by saying, for each will have to bear his own load. I mean, it just sounds like he's contradicting himself. And that's because Paul's confusing, right? But he's not contradicting himself. He says, for each will have to bear his own load. The word burden is not the same as the word load. The word burden means a heavy weight, while the word load refers to a kind of backpack. This is what John Stott, the old theologian, says. He says, there is one burden that we cannot share. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, he says, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. So Keller comments on this and says this, wrapping it up. If we see life this way, this is what's going to happen. We'll be slow to judge others and instead be non-judgmental and generous. He says we will not compare ourselves with someone who has done less and feel conceited pride, or someone who has done more and feel conceited despair or envy. He says God has given them a different load to carry and to serve him with. Our task is to carry our individual load, not someone else's, in a way that pleases God. You see how beautiful this works when we understand the gospel, we start believing the gospel, and we let the gospel remove those barriers that obstruct us from serving one another and bearing one another's burden. So finally, what, what does bearing another's burden actually produce in us? Well, to bear another's burden is to simply be the someone that you have become. It's to be Christ. This is the call. This is what it means to, what Paul says here, fulfill the law of Christ, who loved both his neighbors and his enemies and bore the burden of them all. So, let me urge and encourage you all to do that, can I? Can I urge and encourage you all to fulfill this law as people who have been freed from conceit and envy so that another's burden can be borne by you? Now listen, I know we're five years in to this thing, to this church. I know that some of you are tired I know that all the fun stuff that happens when you begin anything, I know that things start to level out and things start to fade. Some of you are tired. You've been serving so well. Thank you for serving as well as you have. Let me encourage you and urge you to not become faint-hearted, but to take these words seriously and to know that the work you've been doing in bearing one another's burdens is not for nothing. It's not in vain. Even though we can't see all of the fruit that will someday blossom, for many of us, we're planting seeds for future fruit. Be encouraged. Now, some of you have been here so long. 
existing in the fringes, keeping a safe distance. So let me encourage and urge you in a couple of things. Number one, get close. Get close so that we can get close. Get close so that we can get close. Let us catch up to you. Let us fulfill the law of Christ through you so that you can obey God by fulfilling the law of Christ in us. Will you do that? Will you not exist in a place that is very dangerous for you? Because whatever safety net you've built, whatever wall of protection you've constructed, dude, it's not durable. It's not durable enough. It's not made of gospel materials. So there's a warning there. If you are truly a follower of Christ, like the Galatians were, let us reap the benefit from your fruit. Because you know what's going on right now? Some of you have been so fringy in the five years that we've been here. We know nothing about you, including whether you are somebody who is actually part of the family of faith. Why? Because we don't see any evidence of you loving the brethren. And you don't give us any opportunity to love you. Now that's not harsh. That's me concerned about you because I love you. Because I want to see you come in. And if I could, I would pull you in. But that's God's work. That's not my work. So I encourage you, be Christ to us. Bear our burdens. Receive the benefit of a gentle, self-forgetful life. And then let us all repent of our conceit and our envy so that we can be forgiven to have lives that are fruit giving. Listen, when Jesus said, come to me all you who are heavy burdened and I will give you rest, who did he have in mind to carry that out after we come to him? How does God relieve your burdens but through the people of whose burdens he's relieved? How else is my burden gonna get relieved? Because I have them. I have burdens. If you don't ease my burden, then who do I have? Who do you have? Many of these things are just small moments. Many of these things are just small acts of kindness. Many of these things are just phone calls and texts and letters and a hug, and a cup of coffee. I remember there was this one time, I've probably told this before, I remember there was this one time we were, this was years ago, we were, we were struggling with our teenage daughter, as all of you who have teenage daughters know what we're talking about, and all of you who are teenage daughters know what we're talking about. Um, and I remember, um, I know cooks are on display this morning, but um, I remember, 
I remember we'd had a, just a, we'd had a bad night, and I remember they, <laughs> they, they dropped off a bag of ice cream for us one night, and there we are, we're, we're standing in our living room, and I remember Melissa and I were looking at each other, and there's tears, and there's anger, you know, there's all this stuff, and uh, we, get a, we get a ring on the, on the doorbell, and uh, there's Big C, there's Cook, there's Cookie standing there with a bag of, of Dairy Queen. I know he could have done a little better than that, let's be honest. <laughs> let's be honest for a second, shall we? But, it, but he said, this is what he said to me. He said, I thought you could use this. Because he knew what happened. Because he's a brother. Why? Because I told him. Why? Because he's somebody who has, he's borne some of my burdens. And so in that moment, we didn't need anything else. He just gave us a bag of moderately good ice cream. (laughs) I'm kidding. I loved it. I'm not, you know, you guys are all snobby about ice cream around here. I'm like, it all tastes good to big R. I'm good with all of it. So I'm totally joking about that. Um, But that's what he did. And those smaller moments, you know what they do? They prepare us to step into big moments. So when you are bearing another's burden and you are doing things that you just consider to be small and irrelevant, they're not. Because it still comes from the same heart. It still comes from the same character. The same character has to generate even those small things, right? Because those bigger things are going to be rarer. But what is going to prepare you to step through the bigger and the rarer things? It's going to be a life that has been characterized by practicing that bearing of one another's burdens. So be creative. You realize Paul doesn't lay out a bunch of details here? Be creative. Look around. Open your eyes. Seriously, feel something. Invest enough in a brother or a sister so that you know enough about their life to where you are their go-to when the floor collapses. Be that person that God has raised up, that he has saved for you to invest and change another person's life. Because other people's burdens, they form you into something. Do you realize that's what's happening? We think it's simply our own burdens that God uses to conform us to Christ, but it's one another's burdens because that was the life that Christ lived. So I'm gonna finish by saying this. Walk with us. Walk with us so that we can walk with you the way Jesus walks with us all. The cross has made it so we can walk with one another. And we can experience the love and compassion of Christ because without that, we are the world. And we're going to step into all the other self-medicated things that they're finding to make it all feel better that don't work. You've all experienced that. You've all experienced that. Walk with us so that we can walk with you. A new command I give to you, Jesus said in John 13, that you love one another. How? He says, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're either going to be a bunch of people 
who think they're better than everybody else because they gather in a cool space every week. Or we're going to be known as something entirely different in our community. We're going to be known as the church. Why? For one reason. Because we love one another like Christ. And it is the great reflector. And it's the great call for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending Christ who loved us before we loved him, which is why we can love anybody. So God, we pray that this Christ-motivated, Christ-exalting love would overwhelm us, that we would walk away today not feeling condemned, but feeling convicted and feeling drawn more deeply and closely to the love of Christ so that we can consider the people in our lives that need to benefit from the character and the fruit that you are creating in us. That's the freedom that you have given us. That is the life that we have because of the righteousness that Christ accomplished for us on the cross. I pray that we would take this seriously and soberly, but then in that, Lord, there would be a joy and an excitement of knowing that we don't walk alone. We can walk with others because you've walked with us. So let the security of that truth change us and grow us and shape us forever, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.